coming to you live from the Space Race. I'm Johanna Stauffer, and with me as always is a whole bunch of frozen space dogs. And this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode 9012, Unpasteurized Beef Albumen. Oh, is this on? Yeah. Welcome back to the Model Alarming Podcast, everybody. I'm Tom Rich. And I'm Johanna Stauffer. And we're so happy to have you here on our show listening to us talk. Maybe kind of just, you know, nuzzling up on the couch here with a big old cup of hot cocoa, putting on some Christmas movies, having ourselves a grand old time. Why would they put on a movie while listening to a podcast? I don't know. Don't judge. I, I didn't. I just asked. They want to listen. They They want to... See if the podcast matches up. It just with syncs the up. Yeah. Just hoping. It's like with Pink Floyd and uh, the Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz, how those match up mm-hmm. perfectly. If you run them together, it's like if you run our episodes with certain movies, it makes total sense. Terrifying. We're mostly Die Hard. <laughs> we work diligently to make sure that every episode matches up perfectly with Die Hard in I'd a wa- different way, that. though. That would be would be kind of entertaining. <laughs> Well, that's our episode this week. Have a good week. <laughs> right. So uh, this week, uh, what do we got for the uh, the readers there, uh, Johannes? Well, um, nothing, because we don't really write much in the show notes for them to read. But uh, the listeners <laughs> could. What about readers of the podcast at gmail.com? Our new friend from the internet. They're yeah. readers. What about them? <laughs> I think we're doing another segment of Wrong About Books. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. He's just looking at me with a cold, <laughs> dead stare. Uh, like a taxidermied animal head. Roll credits. <laughs> now it's time for Wrong About Books, the part of the show where Tom tells you why you're wrong about books. Actually, Ishmael was dead the whole time, and Moby Dick is just an allegory for... <laughs> Okay, so wrong about books. We've done this once before and it was garbage, so we're going to try a different tack this time. Uh, one of my goals in life and this year is to read uh, just an absolute pile ton of books. One time, I lived alone in an unfurnished apartment for like three weeks before I got married, and because uh, she had all the stuff. And uh, so like I had like one pan and my bed was some blankets on the ground that I'd kind of rolled up to form a vague mattress. And in those three weeks, I read 18 books and it was the high point of my life so far. It was great. It was amazing. I had so much fun. Um, so I'm trying to do... It's probably good your wife doesn't listen to this anymore. Uh, she knows. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> we. Uh, so I'm trying to read a lot of books this year, and so we thought it would be fun if we did a segment where I, I could talk about some of them, tell you about the ones that are good, and then also Johannes, who doesn't have as much free time as I do because he uh, uh, actually has to work for a living, whereas <laughs> I make my money off of frivolous lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, but Johannes will try to read uh, one or two of the books that I'm on for each time we come around to this segment again, and then we'll argue about it. Uh, and we used to have pretty similar taste in books, and so we thought it would just be the two of us discussing what we liked about a book. But holy crap, did we ever disagree about this week's book? It turns out Tom's taste has seriously <laughs> degraded. <laughs> So first, real quick recap of, of the ones we're not going to talk about, and then uh, we'll get on to the main event. Actually, there's only one that we're not going to talk about this week. Uh, uh, if you are at all interested in American history of the early part of the Republic, can't recommend highly enough Fred Kaplan's John Quincy Adams, American Visionary. It's a biography of the sixth president, John Quincy Adams, uh, who is an absolute rock star. Not as well known as his dad or a lot of other American historical figures, but still pretty important. Still did some rad stuff. The writing is excellent, smooth, easy to read, very enjoyable. Uh, cannot recommend it highly enough to to students of pop history, I guess. John, I short for Jonathan. Quincy, short for Quincebald. And Adams, short for Adams. Quincebald is doubly funny because he did not have hair on top of his head. It fell out over the course of his life. I know. 
that's not true. I didn't know that. Who would know that? I would. I, I, I mean, his I, contemporaries, I clearly, but no one else yeah. would bother to retain that information, even if they had learned it. Because what use could it possibly have? I retained it. I knew it. I did. So no person would bother to remember <laughs> that. No, very good book, though. Uh, I get I, I get a lot of flack from uh, my co-host here about my obsession with biographies of obscure American presidents, and sometimes it's well-deserved because the biography of Millard Fillmore, incredibly boring book, and two deeply scholarly biographies, like the one I read about Warren Harding, sometimes the prose is a bit dry because, you know, your academician's not always the best literary stylist. But Mr. Kaplan, in his biography of Quincy Adams, very good, very well-written, very well-researched, excellent stuff. Highly recommend. Right up there with the David McCullough books. Oh, good stuff. We're going to take a quick break for Tom to go clean himself up, and then we'll be right back to talk about the next book. <laughs> Can you make an ejaculation joke on the show? It wasn't explicitly an ejaculation joke until you said ejaculation. You're going to leave all of this in, aren't you? Yes, I am. Uh, you're a monster. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, so the main event, though, tonight on Wrong About Books uh, with Johannes and Tom uh, is uh, The Just City by Joe Walton. Um, and technically, I also read its sequel, The Philosopher Kings, but we're only going to talk about The Just City here because holy crap, do we have stuff to talk about. <laughs> so real quick rundown of the premise of The Just City. Um, Athena, the Greek goddess, snatches various philosophically minded people from throughout time, various points in history, including after the ancient Greek times, all of whom share one common characteristic. They had prayed to Athena that they could go live in Plato's just city, the city he described in his famous book, The Republic. Dialogue, I guess it would be not really a book. Uh, and so she snatches them out of time and takes them back to pre-Trojan War days on an island that will soon be destroyed by an erupting volcano and says... Well, soon in the course of history. Relatively speaking, sure. Uh, I'm going to drop you guys here. Uh, I'm going to give you some robots to help, you know, with the manual labor because you're all philosophers. Uh, and then you are going to set up Plato's Just City. Let me know what you need. Try to set it up. We'll see how it works. Meanwhile, the god Apollo, because this is Greek mythology, so he gets to show up too, descends into the Just City in mortal form as a tiny uh, 10-year-old child who will be part of the city, one of the, one of the 10-year-olds that they're raising up to be the generation of people raised according to Platonic principle in this city. And so the novel uh, chronicles sort of the the founding of the city through its collapse at the end of the novel, or it's it's the the breakup of the initial experiment. I guess is how I would put the end there. Um, Socrates is involved. He turns up at one point to do his Socrates thing. Uh, a lot of digressions, a lot of interesting philosophical conversations I found uh, between the characters there. Um, I very much enjoyed this book, but I'm going to hold off on my enthusiasm now because Johannes is just positively flexing with desire to just ream this thing. So, Johannes, how do you feel about The Just City by Joe Walton? It wasn't great. <laughs> Wait a minute. You texted me repeatedly the phrases, quote, shit and garbage yeah. while reading that book. It's not, it wasn't great does not jive with what I've got of your opinion so far. So... I'll lead with the good. It's not so poorly written that it was a chore to read. Mm -hmm. I didn't find myself, you know, falling asleep mid-chapter sure, or, sure. or, you know, getting through three pages and forgetting what I just read. It's engagingly enough written that it wasn't absolute misery. So the points to the author there, that's clear. It's, I think I, I, I liken it to... Uh, writing pop music, mm -hmm. there's definitely a talent there. Uh, that that kind of writing a hook that gets stuck in your head, even if the actual content is fluff, and you could break down all of the musical cues and say this came from that classical influence and this came from that mm -hmm. modern influence. It still was put together in a way that is creates an earworm like a pop song. So this not, book not innovative, but done but done, executed well yeah okay i I, dig. Um, I i would agree probably i think i think i would be give a little more credit than you are but i generally we're on the same page and in, in terms of the quality of prose i wouldn't say executed well um because it is poorly written on a technical level just to, to the point that 
there are typos and and uh, punctuation errors and mm-hmm. things that just stick out and go. You're like, what? How did how did that get past a publisher, any editor, any beta reader? Like, mm-hmm. how did that get there? Um, the, the way the book is written, there's three different main characters, and, and the chapters switch um, chapter by chapter between their points of view. Uh, there's a woman from what Victorian, Victorian England, England yeah. Yeah. Uh, named Maya. There's a, a girl who is one of the ten-year-old children who was bought from slavers to form the first generation of children who would grow up in the city. And then there's Apollo, uh, who also becomes one of the children. And um, one of the biggest issues I had with the writing of the book was that there is literally no difference in voice between any character. It's totally impossible to keep them separate in your mind because they all speak exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. None of them has a voice, except Apollo a little bit. But going back to the... the, um, the technical issues in the writing, the Apollo chapters are so poorly written. It's like someone else wrote them or like they were written much earlier Mm -hmm. or much later. They don't fit with the rest of the book. They feel tacked on and not edited. They're, they're the ones where there will be errant commas in the middle of a sentence where it doesn't belong. Spellings will be different. She does this uh, absolutely obnoxious thing where uh, Joe Walton, the author um, chooses non-standard spellings and, and i understand we're taking greek and uh mm-hmm. well, to some degree latin but mostly greek names and, and terms and transliterating them into english so there's really not a correct spelling of anything but there's a standard spelling of the name socrates there's generally accepted standard spellings for most of the greek gods names and she picks the ones that no one would ever use socrates is spelled with a k mm-hmm. like it's it's obnoxious because there's no point to it and she can't stick to it. So in the Apollo chapters, Socrates is spelled with a C most of the time, but not in the rest of the book. So that's nitty gritty, picky little crap. And like, mm-hmm. it starts with an Apollo chapter that was so poorly written. I compared it in a text message to Tom to fan fiction. Like, it's what you would find mm-hmm. on a Tumblr. It was really bad. And the writing got better after the first chapter, but I wouldn't say it got good. The book. Do you, do you want me to just list all my all my problems and then we can discuss? Yeah, I guess I'm. I don't, I don't know because I, I just reread that first chapter then, and I didn't like. I, and I was looking for it because you yeah. warned me that you that was where you were. You like hit a snag, uh-huh. and I didn't notice the problems with the prose that you did, like the 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 Tumblr level, you know, negativity to well, it. Well, to to break down the first chapter, like it's it's not great writing it's like like i said it's it's not bad fan fiction but it it reads like fan fiction but the um the biggest problem was so so like her her greek gods are you know they're outside of time they're not all powerful but they're powerful Mm -hmm. and and she sort of ham-fistedly throws references in to be like yeah they they know about technology and things Mm -hmm. But, like, with no imagination at all. Like, he's, uh, Apollo's visiting Athena in her library where she studies mm-hmm. all day and night. And he's like, yeah, and her, her desk where she was sitting with screen, covered in screens and keyboards. And I'm like, you, they're outside of time. They can go to the future. And the best you can come up with is screens and keyboards. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't even dabble in neural interfaces or holograms or, tr- God forbid, try to come up with something original. Mm-hmm. You just screens and keyboards is what they have. Robots, cool. It, it just wasn't creative, and I feel like e- everything she did. So you're talking about like the political or, or uh, philosophical discourse. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest problems with the book on a large scale is that there. I didn't finish it. I'm about forty pages from the end. Mm-hmm. I just haven't had time. Um, there's no conflict ever in the book. Every time a conflict starts to happen, and you're like, oh, maybe there's going to be something that happens, it gets wrapped up in the most, like, it's not even deus ex machina. It's not like, oh, and then something conveniently fixes it. It's just like, and then because we were all philosophers, we had a polite discourse and came to the correct conclusion. Mm -hmm. The end. 
why is there still half of this book left? There's never any real philosophical discourse. And I feel like maybe this is because I was getting so sick of it as I was reading, but I feel like it's because she's not smart enough to write it. <laughs> and it would also be really hard to write because all of the characters are the same. Mm-hmm. Like the they- only characters who stood out uh, in their voice were Apollo because he's a little weird because his writing, like his chapters feel, you know, disconnected. Like sure. I said, and and Socrates and Socrates only stands out as unique because he's always right. Well, right his, yeah. his, he's you know he is the prototypical wise old man, mm-hmm. and he's written as that, and that's fine. But he 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 can do no wrong, and that's why you like him. But also, like, there's no conflict for him to deal with either. It's just like, there's a thing. And then we came to the right decision immediately. Man, you're going to hate the ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to pr- bring up the, the, there's a couple sentences. I think I oh, highlighted man, you took it in notes? here. Well, no, I just have the book here. I should, I thought, I, I, I keep, I would fall asleep thinking about ways I hate this book. And I'm like, <laughs> I should write these down. Um, what was it? I texted it to you. Oh, uh, I so one. I don't remember who it was that said it. I'm troubled. She said, "Looking troubled." Yes, it was effectively what it was. Yeah. It was it was the first chapter, and it's Apollo talking about Athena. And, yeah. and, and I don't know if that it was even troubled. It doesn't matter. Puzzled, whatever, mm-hmm. surprised. But it was literally, "I'm surprised." She said, "Not not even looking surprised, like making a surprised face, something like that." Yeah. And then it, it goes to a little more see, explained, but it wasn't a good explanation. See, but I, I, I guess I, I read that sentence very differently. That because I got to that bit when I was doing, a, uh, I reread the first like four chapters. Yeah, uh, trying to catch up, but I never got around to finishing it. Um, when, and I got to that sentence, I was like, oh, that's what he's talking about. But I read it very differently than you did. Yeah, because I mean that that the the whole vibe at that beginning piece is weird gods outside of time. So I was inclined when I ran into something that was phrased oddly than the way I was expecting it to think, this is Apollo telling me something that I don't follow why he's, why he's deliberately repeating himself or why, why he chooses to emphasize it that way because it's a godly thing outside of time. We, it, it's setting that tone of weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like he would feel the need if she ju- if he's telling me that she just said she was puzzled or surprised or whatever to also emphasize that she appeared that way he would feel the need for he felt the need for some reason that i didn't dig into enough to grasp to point out that her appearance matched what she was saying i couldn't give her that much credit because so here i'm, I'm i haven't that, found the thing i want and that see that that might you're giving her i might be giving her too much credit right. I, I there's probably a happy medium between your your thundering disdain and my willingness to play along with I'm, whatever the writer's doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to play along. I'm usually very good at that, actually. I'm, I'm great at it with movies. Movie People are like, this sucks. And I'm like, this is fun. Just mm-hmm. just this is fine. Yeah. Suspend your disbelief and read the and watch the thing sure. and it'll be fine. Quit being a dick. But so this is here, here's another. So they, she's been very, very trying super hard to be like, gods are different than us. They know some stuff and, mm-hmm. and blah, 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 but don't understand other things. And so he's already, he's talking to Athena. Apollo's talking to Athena, written Athene every single time. And at some point he says, please. And she's surprised he says, please, because he never begs for anything. Here he says, please, written P-U-H dash l-e-a-s-e please yeah that i'll give you that one it ends immediately followed by a long parenthetical statement that wasn't supplication it was sarcasm the last time i used the word it was supplication so i thought i'd better clarify but this was sarcasm with which i am more familiar this is terrible writing from a stupid person (laughs) it's a crime against literature that she is published and Many other people are not. <laughs> it's, I really want to find this line, but I can't. It's clunky. It's longer than it needs to be. You could probably take a few more passes at it and reduce it. But I don't. I don't. Here I wouldn't. I wouldn't elevate elevate the please business to to crime against literature because first, it's it's. I disagree about how egregious it is. But second, it's not. If you're going for the gods are weird and do weird things and sometimes have weird priorities in this version of greek mythology that's a perfectly reasonable way to set up apollo is weird is to have him think i better make sure i make it clear the difference here they're not going to quite follow 
that I was being sarcastic here and not or and not earlier. I, I completely I completely buy what she's going for there. I and, don't. I don't. And I don't I, think she's that smart. I think you're giving her too much credit. I'm not. Well, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe I wouldn't. I hope she doesn't so, listen to this podcast. I hope she does and cries. Um, here's the the line. I'm tempted, she said, looking tempted. The expression she has when she has a new book she very much wants to read right now instead of fulfilling some duty. That extra sentence doesn't make, I'm tempted, she said, looking tempted, Mm -hmm. better. If anything, it means, I've said tempted twice, but I don't believe you know what tempted means. Mm -hmm. Or, I'm not sure I know what tempted means, and I feel a need to explain. (laughs) But it didn't do anything to explain to me what her, change how I would have seen someone saying i'm tempted Mm -hmm. and then as we continue down my litany (laughs) unless you have anything to jump in on no i think i've said what i have to say about the the quality of the prose uh the book is super duper duper preachy but in like weird ways that don't Uh make sense like occasionally anachronistically and often just like why is this in here and this is i I texted tom i this book is (laughs) and garbage and I something like I'm mad that I can't say all of the mean things I want to say about it because I might come across or will I'll, I'll come across looking like a an absurd misogynist. Mm-hmm. She's trying so hard to put like feminist ideals mm-hmm. into the book and into the characters, and again like ham-fistedly. Sure, there's there's a line that just like pulled my brain out of being engaged with the story because it was so out of place and absurd that was something about so all all of the children have to have when they get old enough have to have babies but then they're not allowed to parent their own babies they Mm -hmm. are all all the children are kept in common and cared for by nurses Mm -hmm. but as part of the ideal just city as it's been set up in the book or whatever they can't uh, if a child is it's, it's eugenics if a child is is uh, disabled in any way, they expose them. They just leave them out in the wilderness to die. And she discovers a child with a cleft palate and has to take the kid out and leave her on a mountainside. And it's, the the line is something along the lines of, it was a girl baby, which almost made it worse. Or something that was just mm-hmm. like, wait, what? You have an equal 50-50 split of boys and girls in a society you've already set up with the ideals you wanted so that men and women are in always equal and except for a few because all of the men in the book are shitty, except for a few like of, of the philosophers that were brought back to teach the first generation of children mm-hmm. who who are for whatever reason uh oppressive to women or or refuse to acknowledge that women the, are the neoplatonist guys yeah yeah but there are shockingly few of them and there's really not a problem except for one scene which unless something happens in the last 40 pages of the book i haven't read has no bearing on Mm -hmm. any character's development in any way for the rest of the book uh nothing nothing has happened to oppress women and it's just like but still women are more valuable i'm like are they though or are they as valuable as you've been trying to set up through the whole book i see see again this is this is either this is either what one of us is reading too little or too much into that that yeah. line, and I'm I'm not sure where it is because when I ran across something like that, because like the 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 perspectives of of all of the characters, Apollo. Well, let's set aside Apollo for the moment because he's his perspective is weird. But the perspectives of both the Victorian woman who is sent back as one of the masters of the city, mm-hmm. and the the slave girl who grows up in the city. They're both talking about events from some point in the future. Right. They're speaking, you know, retroactively. It's all past tense. And it's all, the impression I always got was that it's all significantly past tense. It's not like they're talking about yesterday. They're reflecting from some chronologic distance from what they're talking about. That was the general sense I'm not sure I follow. So it's, it's, it's. Uh, oh, the, oh the, yeah. as as a narrator, they're talking about their experience of the city yeah, as from, though they're now far, far in the yeah, future. Yeah. Well, they would have to be right. by by virtue of being a narrator in sure. the way that they are. Sure, sure, sure. But it's... it's So there's, there's a certain degree of distance there. Second up, there's a certain degree of distance in all other events because they're philosophers. So they're going to... There's a general tone in the entire book I got of this kind of attempt at philosophic detachment. Uh-huh. I'm trying to talk about things in a very platonic way. Um. When I ran into stuff like, you know, it was a girl child that almost made it worse. Uh-huh. 
I read it as cracks in the cracks in their philosophic facade. Mm-hmm. So it's not that she is coming to the conclusion that girls are more valuable than boys or something like that. It's she just feels somehow worse about it there, and, and it slips through in her narration at that point. Oh, I was completely unable to uh, ascribe that to a character's feelings in any way. Because mm-hmm. when those things showed up in the book, it never fit the the character's experience or dialogue or or even anything that was happening for the most part. Mm-hmm. It was just like, and by the way, here's the thing that the, the author clearly has put in because the author feels that way and it has no bearing okay. on the character that's saying it mm-hmm. because it doesn't well, it well, I mean, but the, couldn't the, possibly but the character doing the exposing is that's maya that's yeah. the, the the victorian woman right who's always grown up feeling that she as a woman in victorian england is less valued than her brother even though he's a dullard and less you know she doesn't have the opportunity she wants and they're not so she feels this guilt about discarding a female child that isn't platonically rational maybe but you can I, I can see a line back to her her origin story barely yeah i think it's there I, you'd have to look hard for it says i picked it up I, I i never i didn't bulk at that line at all it didn't jump out at me as a problem so i i'm, I'm saying i think it's i i, I saw the line right away yeah i, I mean I, I i i can see that mm-hmm. i just think you're reaching like i i, sure. I, I could have picked it if i wanted to say well, this is the first time this has showed up in this book, and otherwise these characters have been in line with what the character should be and say and do, mm-hmm. and okay, it makes sense, even if it stuck out as a little odd here, but it didn't. It stuck out as every character says these things, the men are garbage and the women are perfect, mm-hmm. and every single woman has some degree of Mary Sue in this book, and every single man is an evil oppressor, except occasionally when they do something right by accident because a woman told them how to mm-hmm. like it's it's and I'm, i don't have a problem with women's rights in real life i have a problem with the absurd way they're shown in this book like if mm-hmm. you, you it's it's really hard to bring them up for any reason in the context of an already perfect society where and, and i know it's not perfect and that's the point mm-hmm. she's failing and but trying but failing to make mm-hmm. but it, when you're already set, you've set up your society where everyone is equal and everyone has equal opportunity, like you, you just, it didn't work for me. It was mm-hmm. bad. So, what did you like about the book? Uh, I enjoyed the premise a lot. Like that's a, like it's a really neat idea for a book. Mm-hmm. I felt like, and and that got that got me pretty quickly into it. Um, I didn't have any problem with the prose you know it wasn't stuff i'll be quoting years from now but i made it smoothly from one sentence and paragraph and chapter to the next uh i i thought the uh i I found oh i wish i could remember simia the the slave girl who Mm -hmm. becomes one of the kids in the city i found her i found her to be engaging and enjoyable to read more so I, I liked her more than maya the the master of the city but i enjoyed her well enough i feel like maya was an afterthought almost yeah it might have been like I, she I, she was necessary as uh th- that's another thing i feel like the choice of of like the three character viewpoint mm-hmm. wasn't so much how she wanted to write it but out of necessity i think the book was probably written from simia's perspective initially and then she was like wait crap I don't know how to write this book from her perspective and still explain how the city was set up. Sure. And then Maya was sort of like, because Maya is important at the beginning because the kids aren't there yet. So someone has to be there. But once once the children are in the city and then growing up, it's like, oh, I guess we'll throw in a Maya chapter every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I never... I never felt like that. I mean, I didn't I didn't detect any, on you know, one and a quarter read-throughs, any clear pattern or or sort of deeper meaning behind why one scene was told from one person's perspective versus another when it could have been you know alternated but i didn't have any problem with it um for me too i was able to enjoy it and, and I'll, I'll agree this it's it's plot light certainly there's not i mean there's there's some overarching conflicts there's one uh uh kid in, or child of the city who uh it, resents being brought there in the first place and so you get a little bit of his kvetching throughout the story uh there's a subplot about the sentience of the robots and whatnot and socrates does stuff and all this this sort of thing um 
I was able to enjoy it just sort of as an experience of the city they were setting up to see what they did with Plato's Republic. Uh, I was interested to see just just kind of the world building of the thing it was engaging. It was engaging enough to me that I thought, okay, that's I'll read about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was interested in how they they structured their society and how that imp- and how that played out. How does it play out when you you go with when you attempt Plato's system of uh, for for child re- produ- production production mm-hmm. is production the word I want there yeah kind of given kind of the other way it goes yeah and and for those that haven't read the Republic like both of us uh, have you read the Republic no um, the system laid out by Plato is that each year you draw lots more or less to see who you're married to for a day and then you go do do the sex thing and you see. <laughs> Wow. You see if if uh, you have a child thereof. And then the children are raised in common and whatnot because you don't want those attachments. You don't want people to favor their child over other children. Um, I was really interested to see how that that played out. And and, and to kind of th- ponder, is it, wor- is it not working or working because it's a be- terrible idea and Plato didn't think this part of his republic through? Is it because of the way the masters decided to execute the Republic in this particular time and place? You know, what exactly went wrong or right here in this situation? Or is it just something that could never go right at all? Right. Um, for me, honestly, that just just the playing out of the city was enough to to get me through it. Um, and that may have that may be why I'm not picking up the same critiques of the characters mm-hmm. as you are, because they were less people I wanted to hang out with than people whose perspectives on events I want on the events in the city I wanted and who I wanted to tell me the next thing that had happened right in their their just city when you explained this book to me when you read it before I did I was interested by the concept because mm-hmm. I what you're saying is what I found interesting is seeing a seeing how that would play out if someone tried to do it but if you're going to try to do it as a story, and, and this is coming from someone who much prefers fiction to nonfiction mm-hmm. all the time forever. Um, I want story driven. It's just like with games. I want story driven. I want a plot. I want interesting characters. That's what engages me. Um, I have a much harder time plowing through a presidential biography or an analytical breakdown of, of a theoretical application of Plato's Republic mm-hmm. than I do reading a novel. Um, but if you're going to do it, do it well. Mm -hmm. And she didn't. So the characters suck. So, and the story sucks. And so now all I'm seeing is a poor application of these things. And I feel like I would have gone through the mental mathematics better and faster than she did by just reading the Republic. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, but wait, what would happen if you tried to keep babies in common? Oh, figured it out. She doesn't do anything interesting with the situations or the characters to make it stand out from what any person with a high school education would get themselves from reading the Republic. I think you're giving too much credit to any person with a high school education reading the Republic. Well, I'm kind of wondering if she had a high school education when she wrote the Republic or wrote, wrote the, the, the just city. Joe Walton is time traveling Plato. Yeah. That's how that works out. Uh, damn, that is harsh. Um, yeah, there are certainly avenues for conflict in in the setting up of Plato's Republic that were not explored here. Um, there could have been cloak and dagger stuff around sneaking around to favor your own child from among all the kids in common. We could have seen more thunderous debates in the chambers of the city. Or any debates in the chambers of the city. Mm-hmm. The only debates we see, and they talk about debate and how much they love debate and philosophical debate which is interesting to me and and logic and rhetoric. And the best we see is like the beginning or tail end of a couple, like two person conversations or three person conversations between Plato or Socrates and some kids who pretty much agree with him anyway. And when Mm -hmm. they set up big debates that are going to happen about like slavery between these philosopher masters of the city who are all from different times and have different viewpoints, what happens is one person goes up and everyone else is like, oh, actually, no, we all agree now mm-hmm. that slavery is bad and we should get rid of it. Oh, great. We didn't have to debate anything. Everything's great now. The one possible avenue of conflict that was set up for this book was completely blown away 
not a chapter later by everyone just being like, actually, we all agree now with no discussion. Neat. Let's move on to the next lack of any plot points. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll throw you that one. I would have liked to see some more big, some more rhetoric, I yeah. guess, rhetoricians going on. Although, as you haven't finished yet, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoiler alert. Go for it. Put put the spoiler music on for three seconds here so people can cut out if they want. Do we have spoiler music? No. Okay. Uh, the end of the book is a, de- is, an, is a debate between Socrates and Athena. Okay. About uh, the justness of the city, more or less. Right. So there is there is one, and it's the climax of the novel. The end isn't the climax. That's not how that works. Well, I mean, you, thank, thank you for that. <laughs> But okay. It's the, it, it's the climax. There's okay. obviously a denouement going on. Just, <laughs> you. Just <laughs> eat, eat a bag of dicks, you smug motherfucker. Good God, you are over there just wallowing in how pleased you are with yourself right now. Just You're just like a pig in slop. Only because it made you so mad. Lying in a kiddie pool full of <laughs> whatever. Your cottage cheese. Just, mm. just super happy. God. Oh, I got the, some of the smug on my face over here, honestly. <laughs> anyway, there is a debate, uh, and, yeah. it, and it forms the the point to which we are building with all of this. The 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 most dis, the biggest disappointment for me, I think, was since we're spoiling things anyway. Mm-hmm. There are workers; they call them workers. There are robots in the city, and they all think they're dumb machines. And they just pave the roads and cook the food and whatever. And then Socrates shows up and says, wait, but they can do things on their own. Maybe they can think. And discovers that they are achieving consciousness. And he communicates with them. And that's where the slavery debate comes up and then doesn't happen. Mm Because just, no, it's fine now. And then, like, it it never goes anywhere. Like, that, without having to even know all that much about commentaries on Plato and and logic and rhetoric and things that have already been discussed and and conclusions that have been reached and whatever without that much research just out of your own brain you could write really really compelling debates of your own and just just mm-hmm. plot points things that happen character interactions based on that i mean frick half of star trek is based around that stuff sure and she just doesn't it's just like yep no they uh they do they uh Turns out they have uh, intelligence and uh, they can communicate and we were keeping them as slaves and didn't realize it, but now we won't. The end. You're like, oh, good. Why did this third of the book even happen? (laughs) The whole book could have been these parts of the Republic worked and these ones didn't. And hey, I threw in robots. This is what would happen if there were robots. Half a page. Over. Done. The end. (laughs) <laughs> I never have to hear about menstrual sponges and we're finished. Which, why Why was that in there? That was a really interesting, like... Digression? Granular, really, really, really specific point of <laughs> non-plot. Setting building? Uh, I guess. It completely failed to stand out to me in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it stood out to me in its failure to stand out. It was just like, what? But, but, what? It, I mean, it, it felt like this is, this is what, this is, this is a scene that would happen. It, it, it stuck out to me what? as odd because of, of Maya, the Victorian mm-hmm. England character who's like, Simia says, oh, my, my mother and sisters used these horrible rags that were terrible to clean. And, and Maya's like, we had those in my time too. Isn't this a much more like civilized way one of the secrets lost to the ages that we've rediscovered Mm -hmm. and i was like that was oddly over the top like Mm -hmm. praise of a hygiene product See that one i (laughs) it was like an advertisement except there's probably no company selling menstrual sponges (laughs) it was like if if maxi sponges existed good god you know <laughs> see that th- that didn't jump out to me because it's it's in the same breath she mentioned or in the same section she mentions the uh the herb that the yeah, the ancient Rome, sil- sylphium yeah which 
was in fact a, a secret of the ancient world that was lost to the Romans over cultivating it until it went extinct. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I just assumed she'd done her research and that this was another thing that had been lost to time. Hmm. I don't know that. I didn't bother to follow up on that sure. thought, but that was why it didn't jump out to me because I'm like, oh, okay, that just must be a thing that uh, at worst I thought maybe this is a rumor, like this is an unconfirmed thing that we think they might have had uh-huh. back in ancient Greek times, but we don't know for sure. It's just not a thing we know about. And she decided to go, yeah, they do. Well, it was just, it was odd to me. She being the author. That yeah, is. right. It was it was odd to me because the, the Silphium thing makes sense because there were points being made semi-regularly about mm-hmm. like having you know whether or not eros or agape or whatever kind of love and like are are the masters having sex how are they doing it without having kids like mm-hmm. that was if not a plot point at least like how are we setting up the city without screwing it up with oh uh, accidental baby like right. the sylphium had a point in the setup mm-hmm. the menstrual sponges were just like also we have these <laughs> i'm like okay <laughs> okay good glad to hear it <laughs> i don't know it, felt, yeah, it, it was just odd it felt just it it, it, it didn't jump out to me <laughs> one way or the other it didn't jump out to me the first time but i think it comes up like three different times and, that could be and always with, like, a page of glowing praise. And I'm just like, okay. Noted. <laughs> this is probably the most we've talked about menstrual sponges on the show this ever. This is probably the most anyone has ever talked about menstrual sponges, at least on a podcast. That's probably not true. My apologies to the hosts of the uh, Menstrual Sponge Hour. It's a weekly podcast. <laughs> it's been going on for probably three, four years now. It's a lot of... Uh, Once a week. But, all menstrual sponges all the time. You know, I want to say I feel like they would exhaust the, the topic in that time, but we haven't exhausted board games yet. And... I feel like there are a few differences <laughs> in board games that maybe... I, I don't know. I guess there could be co- colors and themes. Good God, can we end this <laughs> topic, please? You you dragged it out. That was uh, That's all on you. Yeah, fair you enough. You made the menstrual sponge board game comparison. I did. I did... <laughs> make that comparison and i regret it i will and i will regret it every day of my life after this so say we all so say we all now there was a show huh battlestar galactica right not a menstrual sponge in sight <laughs> damn it <laughs> all right are we are we time are we time for this uh, we're, we're well over time so all i right. would give two enthusiastic thumbs down to this book don't bother to read it i, I just would... read the republic You'll think of all of the things and more. I would give, I guess here, I, I would give, I would, I would cl- classify my thumb giving depending on uh, uh, who you are. And if you're trapped in an airport. Yeah, if you're trapped in an airport. I did read this while trapped overnight at the Dallas airport, so I may not have been in the right frame of mind for anything. Hatred. Really. Right. No, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, but. Whatever. Uh, if you listen to the podcast and you find me engaging and enjoyable, you'll probably like the Just City. I think you're selling yourself short. I think you are more interesting <laughs> and a far better writer. Nah, that's probably not true. Uh, if it's if you f- listen to the podcast and you find Johannes to be the smart one, probably not. Probably not so going to dig dig the Just City. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Read it if you want to. Don't read it if you don't. I'm not giving any thumbs. I enjoyed it myself. I found it to be a read that I don't regret. I didn't put it down. I finished it. Uh, it was good. It was enjoyable. It was pretty solid. I like. I wouldn't go so far as to say solid. I, I liked. The, I, I will say this. I liked the second one better. Yeah, I'm I, not going to read it. I, I didn't think you would. I enjoyed the Philosopher Kings more than I enjoyed the Just City. Right up until the end, actually, I thought the end was a bit of a Zeus X Machina. <laughs> machina X Zeus. No, I mean Zeus X Machina Zeus, that would, would just be, right, be yeah. Deus X Machina. It's yeah. just. Machine of the Zeus. Well, no, Zeus out of the machine. Or from the machine. Anyway, Zeus shows up at the end of the Philosopher King. Spoiler alert. Whatever, no one's going to read it. It's garbage. I liked it better than the first one. All right, well, (laughs) that was productive. So that was Wrong About Books. If you enjoyed that kind of segment, if you think that's something we should keep doing, let us know, please, so that we know what you enjoy and what you don't. You could let us know what you enjoy or don't on the Twitters. At Mildly Alarming. You can uh, send us an email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. 
you could post it in the comment section on the website at www.mildlyalarming.com. You could post it in uh, an iTunes review or a Google Play Music review or a Stitcher review or there are no reviews in the other things, but you could listen to them. Just just look for Mildly Alarming. We're, we're up there now. Or if you read Plato's final dialogue, it turns out it's just a, uh, a form where you can write comments to our, our podcast. Scholars were confused by it for millennia before we came along. We are the reason. We are what Plato was writing about. We'll be right back. After these messages. After these messages, we'll be right, right back. back. Ding. Hey, guys. Lloydo here for Pork Snacklins, the new snack food sensation from Gunchland. You ever eat a pork rind and think, man, screw pork rinds? Well, whether you did or not, that's the kind of guy we made Pork Snacklins for. We take the pig, see, and we render that little oinker right down to its parts. You know, like you learn in school about how denser stuff floats on top of less dense stuff? That's what happens to all the stuff what make up a pig. Then we take the densest part, the lab guys say it's mostly gristle, grit, and something called hollop, and we shape it into our snaplings. Then we fry it in the second densest part of the pig. The lab guys say that that's seuss, and when it's done, we put it in a little bag. Then we take the rest of the pig and we make little packets of snaplin butter so you got something to dip your snaplins in, and we put those packets in the bag with the snaplins. I like to lick the outside of the butter bags after I'm done with my snaplins. Pork snaplins are the snack food for the kind of guy what collects heart attack risk factors like your kids collect Pokemon cards. For an extra treat, try double fry your snaplins in butter and lick the pan. I won't stop you. Nobody will stop you. Pork snaplins in your grocer's automotive aisle. New from Gunchland. Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm still Johanna Stauffer. And I'm a... Just a clown. Oh. (laughs) And I'm Tom Clown Rich. And uh, we have uh, put down our knives, stopped fighting about the uh, Just City, so we can talk about board games for the second part. To be perfectly honest, between these two segments, we did spend another 10 or 15 minutes arguing about the Just City. (laughs) (laughs) But board Uh, games now, we're done with that. We're done with that. No, no, no. Screwed you, man. No, that book is terrible. And it's your fault. <laughs> How could it be my fault? I didn't write... I have board games. We only have like five minutes left. Uh, so we thought since uh, that first segment ran long, we would talk a little bit about a shorter topic this time. We're going to talk about take that mechanics. You said slong. It's a word. Sure, yeah. Yeah, we'll go with it. Uh, so take that mechanic is any kind of mechanic or maneuver that just sort of screws the other player. Suddenly and vigorously. Um, yeah, and it's and it's also an, an important interaction. It's not just like a, a peripheral thing. It's you've just got kind of this ability and the game is driven by sudden violent plays against one another. Yeah, it's, it's usually the, the game, like the main engine for yeah. player interaction. Yeah. Munchkin is famous for these kind of game uh, mechanics. Um, I always talk about the this really old board game called Battle Mist that yeah. I used to play uh, in my teenage years. Uh, I'm 48 now. <laughs> and, but um, it had a card called Luck that you could get that just canceled another thing a player was doing. Uh, and that's kind of a take that mechanic. Yeah. It causes a big hefty swing, and it's pretty important when you've got it, so players are going to be digging for those. But I'll never forget the smug look on my buddy, or I'm sorry, Bryce, his face when he would get one because you'd do a thing and he'd just be like luck and he'd throw the card and he would just get this huge grin he'd be like i don't i don't want to i i, I want to hit you with so many objects <laughs> and that's kind of the risk you take when designing a take that mechanic because you're gonna play with the smug guy and you're gonna want to hit him with an object when he's smug about it yeah so what do we think about these they're incredibly frustrating for the person being targeted, and they're incredibly gratifying generally for the person using them. So gratifying. Uh, I don't think I've ever really played a game where that was the driving mechanic. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen them applied. I think there's some take that going on in, um, oh, I always forget what this is called. Um, we like it, and a lot of other people don't. It's older than we thought it is. Spaceships fight each other. Cosmic Encounter? Cosmic Encounter. 
Okay, yeah, I can see that. There's some take that and that. It's more like the luck card. Mm-hmm. There, there's the, there are these games where often it'll be uh, a card game of some sort, or at least your your take that things will be cards. You start out with one thing, or maybe you come across it and it's rare, and you just kind of sit on it waiting to be like, I play this thing that cancels the thing you just tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some of that in, actually there's quite a lot of it in uh, um, Coup. Yeah. Just like, nope, I'm going to ruin your day. And I think I think that points, the, the Cosmic Encounter Coup distinction points to a, a key kind of factor and figure out when your take that mechanic is going to be good or bad. Right. If you've built a game where you're encouraging me to build up and, and, and kind of plan over the course of many turns and think and strategize, but then you're including these wild luck swings, I'm going to be annoyed because I'm going to feel like you're encouraging me to do one thing and then undermining that thing. Mm-hmm. But if you build a game where it's like you're really only going to be thinking a turn or so ahead because there's just not it's not predictable enough. It's vo- right. so volatile that I'm going to be more comfortable with that kind of swing. And coup is like that because you can't p- think two turns ahead in coup. No, you can't there's no way think, of knowing. Right. You can't even really think one turn ahead. You can make a good guess about maybe what the next guy's going to do. Yeah. But Cosmic Encounter, and it's been a while since I've played it, you can kind of think a little bit forward. And that's where I think the frustration comes in. Though Cosmic Encounter is a little harder to think. Uh, further forward too because you don't know who you're going to be pitted against because you don't get to make the choice which is part of what I like about Cosmic Encounter and what a lot of people really dislike about Cosmic Mm -hmm. Encounter yeah definitely I I guess uh, another comparison you might make is imagine if we were if in Eclipse there were cards that there's there's some randomness that can make a pretty significant swing in Eclipse but imagine there were luck cards that could completely cancel an attack you know that kind of massive swing yep you'd never get anyone to play it'd be terrible so you need to balance the power of the take that mechanic of the sudden lucky swings against the amount you're asking players to invest in strategy and in planning. Yeah. Um, this is something that that when you're playing games with people who don't think about game design or, 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 or what a game is supposed to do very well, that it can be kind of hard to explain because somebody like that might think, well, you should. That's the, that's the way the game is. You know, it's just that's life. It's just unfair sometimes. It's like, well, I'm not. Making a simulation of life, I'm making a game to be enjoyed and to, to give you this kind of experience. Yeah. And if one part of the experience is undermining the other part, that, that doesn't jive very well. Right. It's like if you've got one one card or one strategy that is vastly more powerful than the other ones, well, the, you know, the, the one argument would be, well, why don't you just play that strategy? Well, because that strategy is making the game less interesting. It's not... It's preventing it from accomplishing all the goals I want it to. Often a take that mechanic is kind of like going back to our, our, our regular comparison to video games and, and specifically to Mario Kart. Uh, a take that mechanic is often like if you had a blue shell, but you could always target a certain player with it instead of just the guy in the lead. Mm-hmm. Be like, no, I'm always going to hit Gary with the blue shell. Blue shell, go after Gary. Which, to be fair, is what you would do. Absolutely. And it's what you would do. I might Unless you. Alphonse were playing. I might target you. You might, but I, you'd probably target Gary. Let's be honest. I'd go for Alphonse more. Yeah. Love you, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's got to be it's got to be calibrated. To, and I think the, the blue shell is a good point, too, because the blue shell is definitely a take that mechanic, but it's a take that mechanic that's focused around one particular thing, which is reducing the spread overall right. of the, the racers in the Mario go-kart racing. Right. Well, that's the problem with a, a take that mechanic is that... The choice of who it targets is generally in the hands of the person targeting it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, like I said, I've not played a game where that's the main driver. Um, I, I don't feel like it's even really the main driver in Munchkin, but I've only ever uh, watched that played. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at any rate, the problem is that you can pick. And so you can be that guy who's just like, I'm just going to pick on Gary the whole time, even though he's in last place. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be mean to Gary. And... That sucks. That that can be game breaking depending on who you're playing with. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 you're playing, it's, it's kind of childish. It's if, if you're going to be that guy who's just going to pick on your younger brother or whatever just to make their game worse. That's a lousy mechanic, mm-hmm. and um, it's one of those things. It's an interesting proposition as far as game design goes because you really want as much agency in the hands of your players as you can give them because choice is what makes a game interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Do you design around 
the dickhead who's going to always target the weakest player just because, haha, you're, you're weak and I'm going to keep hurting you because you can't hurt me back? Mm-hmm. Or do you let them do that in the hopes that they're going to be a more nuanced and interesting player and not just use it to be a jerk, but instead apply it to the game? Mm-hmm. So usually you end up seeing take that mechanics being like, you get this once per game. Right. And then it's gone. Well, too, you can you can build it around you can try to design the mechanics that it has diminishing returns. Yeah. If you or or lesser returns if you target the weaker player, like if it's a stealing mechanic. Right. Um, you know, if you're getting to steal money, obviously you want to steal from the richest player. Yeah. If that's the the way that you're causing them to take that. Right. Um or some kind of reward to the take thatting player that that depends upon something. How that player, how the player they target is doing. Right. Have we ever used, I guess, two-headed ogres kind of take that, but really only because the entire game is pitted against one another. Right. Did we come up with rules for more than two teams? Oh, yeah. The rules work fine for more than two teams, as written. But how, how? Like, how do you choose who you're targeting? Yeah, you just have to pick. Right. So that's pretty take that. It it, it is. Yeah, I mean, you could... It's outright you, damage, and if you swing, you're like, I can either hit you or you. You get to pick the one you want. Yeah. And Two-Headed Ogre is designed to be short and chaotic, so... Though, as it's being redesigned, it'll be a little different, because you have to move, mm-hmm. potentially. We'll see. That's true. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. Hopefully, it'll be ready by Proto-Spiel. Actually, kind of, uh, Big Man has a lot of take that to it. Yes. If you choose to be competitive with it. It's all like, ah, I'm placing this card over here by you because it's got monsters on it. Or because it's the Great Hall of Stank and the smell will hurt you. Right. Or I'm running past you and I'm just going to just gonna clock you right in the face <laughs> as I go by because I can. Yeah. Might, might steal some of your uh, swag. Yeah, it definitely has, has some elements that... And one of the things, too, that can make a take back, that can reduce a take back mechanics kind of bite is the ability to bounce back from it. Like, big man... You, you come right back to life on your next turn, and then you can immediately start playing stuff. And two, you're likely to find yourself, I don't know how likely, but fairly likely to find yourself in a position where you can just immediately re-punish the player that just punished you. Like, yeah. there's a fairly good chance as soon as you respawn, you'll well, have if you a... get punched, if you get punched, you don't even have to respawn. Right. But if they, if they monstered you to death. Sure, yeah. Uh, you might respawn and just immediately pull a card that can hurt them. Yeah. And you could just immediately hurt them again. So there's you you that's another and way. Really, to do that's it. what our games are all about: is hurting other people. Do you remember? I don't remember the playtesters, but there were there was one pair of playtesters who were brothers, and the one brother was just so happy every time he got to hurt the other brother. Oh, a proto spiel? Yeah, I don't think they were brothers. I think they were just friends, like us. They, they, they were from another. Uh, oh, okay. I thought they were brothers for some reason. Yeah, I don't think so. Nobody mistakes us for brothers. Nope. Mainly because he's a girl. That is why. <laughs> He is a girl. <laughs> it checks out. Okay. Take that is what you should have said just then after you were mean to me. I didn't think of it. I know, because you're stupid. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> uh, so, is that is that it for Take That Mechanics? I think that's all I have to say about it. I don't think I fully understand what the mechanic is, to be perfectly honest. If it, if it is, if not inherently, at least generally, the driving engine for mm-hmm. player interaction... It seems like it's more often than not, as I understand it or misunderstand it, a a one-off, once-per-game or once-per-round kind of mm-hmm. limit-this-from-happening mechanic. So, I don't know. Maybe we don't get it at all. We might be stupid. Well, I'm not, but you definitely are. So, yeah. if, you, uh, are, if we are wrong and you know exactly what a take-that mechanic is and can explain that to us, you should let us know. Twitter's the first one. You do Twitter. On Facebook. <laughs> on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. Uh, you can send us an email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. You can send us a comment in the comment section on the website at www.mildlyalarming.com or on facebook.com slash mildlyalarmingshow or on iTunes or on all the other things that we talked about earlier in the show. You know what they are. Or you can just crack open a chicken bone and suck out the marrow and it will flood you with its dark knowledge. And somehow that will do the thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how. I guess with all that dark knowledge, they could just figure it out. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Sure. Like, just go listen, seek out some listen, dark knowledge. Listen, just, just trust me. Break chicken bones, 
suck marrow, do it in a KFC, videotape it, put it on the internet. I want to watch that. Sweet porcine uncles, that hurts. Every time I go into the kitchen to get me a packet of pork snaplings, I stub my toe on this darned old cabinet. I wish there was a solution to this problem. Well, have I got good news for you, friend. Oh, daisies, do tell. Well, you could just move the thing out of your path or watch where you're going, or maybe not cram your face full of delicious pork snaplings all the time. Seems unlikely. Unlikely indeed, my grease-bestrewn friend. That's why I've developed Tobots. These tiny, automated drones will buzz around your home, keeping an eye on your every move with their thousand omnidirectional eyes. Then, when they detect you're about to stub your toe, they'll disable you with a powerful electric shock, preventing you from striking the obstacle in question. It sounds like that would hurt more than stubbing my toe. A thousand times more. As once one Tobot has you in its sights, the others will swarm and swarm until there's no chance of a toe-stubbing incident. Then it's back to the Tobot command station to recharge and report back to head... Well, let's just leave it at recharge. Will Tobots stop me from hurting myself in other ways? Like the other day, I was using a carving knife to try and spread Nutella on a bunch of pork snaplings all at once, and I cut my thumb real bad. I had to smear it with snaplin' butter to stop the bleeding. Some got inside my blood. Absolutely not. The Tobots will only detect stubbed toes, but rest assured they will respond to them with overwhelming force. I think I'm technically half pig now. Tobots, don't bother trying to order them. We've already installed them in your home. Watch your step. 